the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a relationship expert, executive consultant, and life management coach. Cynthia Hyatt uses her 30 years of experience as a licensed psychotherapist to now offer in-office or concierge services through executive life coaching, consulting, and image management in order to help you be your own best version. Cynthia also specializes in speaking to groups worldwide about how to be successful in relationships, as well as artfully handling life's challenges. She has had many opportunities to present numerous educational seminars and lectures on a variety of motivational, inspirational, and mental health topics around the world. Please take a moment to visit her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's Cynthia, H-I-E-T-T dot com. Her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated for current events, updates, and inspiration during your week, as well as all social media platforms. You can hear this show as a podcast on iTunes and many other podcast services. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Now, with today's fresh insight, here's Cynthia Hyatt. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm always thankful that you take time to just stop in to listen, to have some encouragement, to get some maybe hopefully godly direction and just some inspiration. And we have a special guest today. This is We have Josh McDowell on today, which I'm so thrilled to have. And he is just a pillar in the Christian community. So I'm sure you know who this, who this man is. And What's interesting when I started to learn more about him is that he really grew up and he was more agnostic. And when he really challenged it intellectually to examine the claims of Christianity, he really discovered very compelling, overwhelming evidence for the reliability of the Christian faith. And so if you have heard of More Than a Carpenter or Evidence That Demands a Verdict, He's had 27 million copies of More Than a Carpenter Cell. So he does great work with teenagers. And when I told my mother that he was being on my show, she said, oh, he helped your sister so much. So it was so nice to hear that, wow, this man has been around for a long time. So, Josh, thank you so much and welcome to the show. You make me feel real old. It's been around a long time. <laughs> well, you know, I feel the same way. I, I can't believe time has gone like this. You know, I it's like, how did it happen? But you so, know, if you didn't enjoy life, it would drag. That's true. That's very when true. When you enjoy life, you're being fulfilled, you're helping others, life just zooms by. It really does. So I, I'm so excited about you really delving into the the Gen Z, the Gen X, and what the pandemic is really doing to our society. Because I talk to clients all day, and a lot of businesses are shutting down, and mine is, I've always been full, but I'm really full now. So this is really tough on people. It's it's going to get tougher, too. Yes. 
see, the problem is most of the things that you're even dealing with now didn't start with the epidemic. Right, right. It started way back. Before the epidemic ever hit, there were four major epidemics in the world in almost every country of the world. Loneliness, depression, mental health, and pornography. Yes. And what the epidemic does has intensified it and magnified each one of those. Right. And so it's not having good coping skills that lead us to do negative coping skills to get rid of the pain. And it just makes the pain worse. That's right. Yes. I read a stat that the, the calls that do for suicide have gone up 600%. Uh, yes. That just breaks I, my heart. I heard the same uh, stat, and it's very, very sad that that that's where people are coming to, that they have lost that much hope and they really don't have any other place to turn. And when we start causing people to be locked down and they only can talk to maybe family members where those relationships aren't very um, positive anyways, and then we're masking everybody so we can't see even or make real true eye contact, it's horrible for humans. We just lose hope. Um. It can be horrible. It can be good. Yes. One of the two. Yes. So tell us uh, about being, how it's, no, tell us about the goodness. Those that get help from people like you and those <laughs> have a, you see, no, an exceptionally positive yes. attitude. It's interesting. Harvard did an 80, 80 year study. Can you imagine 80 years to no, find that, out? that's phenomenal. What is, the, what is the key to success, to happiness and health? And after 80 years, they concluded, and the, one of the directors of the study said this, it's relationships, relationships, relationships. That's right. Whether it's success in business or whatever, it comes down to relationships. I, that is exactly it. I tell clients every day, God is a relational God, and this is the primary way that he helps humans is relationally. And if our relationships aren't working... Okay then we stagger in many ways through life. And we have to have a lot of maladaptive coping skills to prop us up. And it's exhausting, yeah. and, it, and it's not life-giving. The study went on to say, Cynthia, that to deal with loneliness, one of the best ways to deal with loneliness, now think of this, I would never have thought of this, but it seems so, so right, said, if every day you make a significant contribution in somebody else's life, You'll never be lonely. I, I, and I thought it, about that, yes. and I said, you know, if you get your eyes off yourself onto others. That's right. And what I've been doing, I've been locked down since March 7th. Wow. And um, I've become more free lately. <laughs> but every day when I wake up, I would write 10 letters of encouragement to 10 people. Then I would make 10 phone calls, five globally and five nationally, just to encourage people. And then before I go to bed, I'd write 10 more notes of encouragement so that every day, even though I'm locked down and all, it's my wife and me, which I'm enjoying my wife, I'm having a significant contribution to other people's lives. And Harvard study said that is one of the key factors. To Absolutely. I mean, when we study human development, that's one of the things. And, and even if we you know, study really the life of Christ, even when there's horrible trials and hardships, if we feel like we're seen, we matter, we're contributing to somebody's life, we've, we're in a positive manner, then we always have more energy, more emotional resiliency. Hmm, that's I, 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 yes. so true. I tell people, why don't you just go to the grocery store and let somebody in the line ahead of you? You're going to feel great. I don't know why Harvard took 80 <laughs> years. They could have called you and got 
That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Maybe not quite as authoritative. Exactly. Probably, yes, probably not. <laughs> probably not. But, I, I, you know, it's so true, and it's these simple things that, that God is saying for us to do. I mean, uh, that that really change our whole entire experience of the world. It's it's that idea of changing the insides, not trying to change the outside, you know. And we are so hardwired to change our external environment so that we feel better. And that's exhausting. Instead of changing the yeah. internal world that that goes with us everywhere. You know, with Gen Z, mm-hmm. and what does the church do? This is what I have concluded, is that if there's ever a generation that's needed to be mentored, it's Gen Z. Yes. And I would encourage churches to train their men and women on how to mentor, not disciple, how to mentor, and um, line them up with the Gen Zs that come into that church. And I'll guarantee you, they will grow. Absolutely. I, I have so many... Gen Zs will stay if they're being ministered to like that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I have so many young people on my caseload, you know, in, you know, in, in 20s. And many of them are young pastors. And, I mean, they love coming to their sessions. And I have churches that now put me on retainer and pay, pay for these pastors to come in. And I have been able to really grow some of these young people up really nicely so that they are truly contributing and they're managing this epidemic pretty well. Well, get your eyes off yourself. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And it isn't about a false, a false way of doing that. You know, that, that false self deprecating. It really is about what do I have to offer someone and what I have to offer can only be offered by me because everyone's unique. I would challenge anybody being locked down to write a book. It might never be published or anything, yes. but I think every person in the world has one book in them. And uh, when you write a book, it helps you more than it does somebody else. Truly. And I think people could find some of the alone time, not lonely, but alone time, very fruitful by saying, hey, outline and write a book of your life. Who knows? You might have a bestseller. <laughs> might be a big flop. <laughs> but right. you would learn a lot. Oh, absolutely. And and it really helps to have a lot better understanding. But, uh, you know, a lot of what you do for young people is kind of unprecedented. Is this like something that God, did you anticipate doing young people? Or did this just really evolve with God and you? How did this happen? Would you repeat the first part of that question? Oh. <laughs> a little garbled. Sorry. Well, what I was saying is that your impact on young people has been unprecedented. And I was wondering how, how that call occurred in your life. Did you have it early on? Did it evolve? How did you get interested in young people? Well, a lot of it came out of the way I came to Christ. I was in my teens, ah, late okay. teens. And I set out to write Evidence of Man's Verdict against Christianity to refute eight professors, eight students, and two professors at the college. And the more I wrote it, the more I saw, oh my gosh, there's evidence here that I never knew. And so that December 19th at 8.30 at night, towards the second year of my university, I placed my trust in Christ, invited him into my life. Nothing happened. I didn't sprawl wings or anything. <laughs> but in about six months to a year, my entire life changed. 
And I um, enrolled in law school because my whole life was centered around becoming a lawyer, the governor of Michigan, and a federal senator. And um, I went to, um, I was driving out to law school, and I made a lot of money. I had a brand new MG sports car, and I stopped at the Grand Canyon. Oh, my. And hiked down with about 35, 40 kids from different countries all the way down and back up and everything. So we spent the entire day together. And I was so humbled by the questions they had, the hurts they had and all. And I couldn't get it out of my mind. The time I got to California, all I was thinking about, I don't want to serve others. I don't want to be a lawyer. Uh, I want to help others. And I was reading this magazine. I was in Costa Mesa. And it had a little square advertisement down at the bottom right of the page at Talbot Theological Seminary in La Mirada, wow. California. I'd never heard of it. But next day I got in the car, drove over there, and said, uh, I'd like to go to seminary here. Can I start? Well, that, that, this is remarkable. the woman looked all over and said, yeah, I said, you don't have any, uh, you haven't applied. I said, I know, I just heard of you last night. And she said, well, it'll take you two or three months to matriculate. So I started to leave, and I said, who's the last person I talked to? And she said, Dr. Charles Feinberg. Wow. Well, Josh, we, Josh <laughs> we have, are coming to the end of this segment. Do you have time to be with us for one more segment? Yes, for you. Only oh, for you. <laughs> Hey, you made my day. Thank you. (laughs) Well, welcome back. You are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. And we have our special guest today. This is Josh McDowell. And he really spent the last segment with us talking so much about his own testimony and how he got where he is and just some amazing life passages that he has been through. So Josh, thank you so much for being with us again in this segment. And I would love to hear more about, you know, this idea of Talbot, you know, seminary, that that was so far off where you had originally thought you were going, right? No, I'd never dreamed of in my whole heart. (laughs) But when I went in and talked to Dr. Charles Feinberg, the dean of the school, very prominent scholar. Yes. And I said, I'd like to go to school here. And he said, uh, well, my secretary said, we don't have your application. I said, I know it, uh, but I just heard of you last night. And he looked out his window and saw my little sports car, and he said, is that your car? And I said, yeah. I mean, I can't believe I was so... <laughs> it was almost like being rude. I said, yeah, it's my shoving and love it. Shove it to the floorboard, and it loves to go. <laughs> he looked at me a little surprised and said, tell you what, call Wheaton College, have Mayor Miller transcripts out here and you can start school Monday. Wow. And I went, oh my golly, there goes law school. Right. (laughs) And uh, so I started school, but after about a week in classes, I just wanted to be in law school, but I wanted to do God's will. And the professor made some statement about me dating a lot of girls. I dated a lot of girls that first week. (laughs) And it was an excuse. I got up, walked up to the front of his desk, slammed my books down, said, I've had it. And I walked out. And oh I was on my way to seminary. I walked out of Talbot Seminary. There's a, there was a small middle, uh, middle school right there. As I walked by it, the noon bell rang, and just hundreds of kids poured out. Now, I hardly ever share this story publicly. <laughs> I don't know what happened. It was like I was frozen, and God clearly spoke to me. I've called you to reach young people. 
never turned back. Wow. I don't know really what happened. Wow. But something happened. I turned around, went back to the class, apologized to the professor, into the class, and a cemetery became a seminary. And then by God's wonderful grace, I went on part-time staff as a student with Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ. Yes. And Crew trained me to share what I was learning in seminary. And uh, and I became a speaker and never looked back to this day. That's amazing. You have changed so many lives. And, you know, I some of the information that your assistant sent to me has been really helpful because you talk a lot about you have this great message from you about proclaiming hope in Christ and trusting in Christ without fear and anxiety, you know, with our fear and anxiety and remembering communities. And, and so you have this great way of just really sifting through all of the, the, the amount of information and making such clear statements. See, one of the key things there, Cynthia, is I had a great apologist. I think he's one of the best Christian apologists in the world, called me and he said, what's the difference between you and me? I go to a university, I speak, and maybe one person will come to Christ. You go to a university and speak, four, five, six, seven, eight hundred come to Christ. <laughs> and I said to him, well, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> to say this person, you're doing it wrong. That's funny. He said, what do you mean? I said, look. You're an apologist. You teach truth for the sake of knowing truth. I teach truth for the sake of living truth. Truth, all truth is given to be applied to relationships. Yes. So we should always teach truth in the context of relationships. How can it affect your life? Why does it affect your life, etc.? And I said, that's the difference between you and me. I said, it's like my book, More Than a Carpenter, which now probably has 200 million copies out there. Uh, that little book, I wrote in 42 hours, just oh sat my. down and just started writing, never went to bed, never left the room or anything. Daddy would bring me food. And um, it's truth in the context of relationships. I start out with my testimony, then I go into the truth and apply it all onto my life, and then I go back to the end of my testimony. And I think it's one reason why that book, which is not as good as some of the other books out there by people, but it sure sold a lot more <laughs> by far than anyone else. And it's because it's it's within the context of relationships. That's that's probably the key. That that is really the most important because that's the whole you know, I say to clients many times, you know, when when Adam and Eve fell, God had a choice. Was he gonna go forward with us or was he gonna start over? And God's a relational God and he can't walk away from people and he loves humans and Otherwise, I, I don't know how he could bear all of this, but he is, he's, he developed, he probably invented relationship. And so it is really well, the cornerstone. Yeah, when I set out to write my book, mm-hmm. Evidence Against Christianity, I thought Christianity was a religion. Mm, and all I had yes. to do was show it was illogical and not intelligent. But the more I studied, I came face to face with the person of Jesus Christ. And when I finished my research, I'd already concluded it was true, and then my mind was, you've got to make a decision. You can't walk away from Christ and not make a decision. Right. Just by walking away, you make That's a decision. That's right. That's exactly right. And my, so I learned it was relational. He wanted a relationship with me. But here's what is interesting. 
my biggest spirit of Christianity was not intellectual, it was relational. My father, I wish to God I hadn't grown up hating, despising my dad. Right. Literally, when he wasn't trying to kill my mother, I was literally trying to kill him. Wow. And I just despised him. And after I became a Christian, God gave me a love from my dad. I, I drove over to Battle Creek to tell him how much I hated him, never wanted to see him again. And we sat there, and I said, Dad, I've come here to tell you I love you. And I went, whoa. <sighs> and I don't know who was most surprised hearing that, him or me. And that's when I realized something had happened in my life. God gave me a love for a man I chose to hate, my father. Yes. And that night, I led him to Christ. Wow. And you see, for a long time, I wouldn't come to God because people would say to me, they know my background with my dad. So they would say, you know, there's a heavenly father that loves you. That didn't bring me joy. Right. I grew up believing fathers hurt you. And I could not discern the difference between a heavenly father and an earthly father. And after I led my father to Christ, I realized my heavenly father is a lot different than my earthly father and that I can trust him. And that's when I gave my heart to Christ. Well, and trust, just just that word alone, that is really the key. It's the trust issue. Well, it is. And trust comes about, even going back to that Harvard study, trust comes about by being a person who keeps his word. And only, and you know the other person's there. No matter what happens, they'll back you up. Right. And the more I studied God, I knew it was there. I knew it would back me up. And he'd proven himself to be trustworthy. That's real. I mean, it's so powerful. So we have one more minute. Now, obviously, I would love you to stay for the entire hour. If you can, we would love to have you for the next segment. But if you can't, I have so appreciated. I wish I could. (laughs) Thank you for doing this much. This has been really, really encouraging for me and I know for my listeners. And I love your ministry. And I just say God bless you and thank you for the work that you have done for so many years. Well, Cynthia, my wife and I live in Dana Point, California. Yes. And if you get out to Dana Point, Cynthia, and you have no place to stay, maybe you lost your money, nothing to eat, <laughs> and you don't have any tickets for Disneyland, no, look. Thank I'm in you. Book, call me. I will. And I'll pray for you. Thank you. <laughs> God bless okay, you. Cynthia. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you so much for listening. And make sure that you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. Uh, you can listen to the show on uh, right on the website. We also have some music for you of me singing, some different inspirational, motivational things. And you can also find the show on your favorite podcast server. So always appreciate your support and participation and that you are really searching and seeking and desiring to be really who God has made you to truly be. Not your own creation, not the world's creation, but God's true creation. So we had Josh McDowell in this last half hour, if you are just tuning in, and it was great to listen to such a patriarch of the faith and and his impact on teenagers for the last 30, 40 years. And and so he had a lot to say, and a lot of what he was talking about in this uh, pandemic epidemic is, this idea of loneliness and that we know that Generation Z, one of their biggest struggles is with loneliness and 
how the enemy has just really come in like a flood and is making things so much more difficult. We have suicide is at the highest I think it's ever been, and also with young people, which is very, very, very troubling. So I want to make sure that you, you know, check out some of his resources. He has some great books and um, great podcasts and also just different um, lectures that he has done. And so he was going to talk a little bit more about loneliness. And and I want you to hear some of these statistics about loneliness that's happening right now. And this is um, this research really, you know, is not just the the church environment. It's it's affecting both believers and non-believers. And the growth of social media and the waning of person-to-person contact caused the former Surgeon General, Vivek uh, Murthy, to label loneliness as a worldwide epidemic and that it can be lethal. And so... A survey of 20,000 United States adults by Cigna, the loneliness, loneliest members of Generation Z, these are people between 7 and 22, are evenly split between those who use social media and those who don't. And that's, that's half of people over the age of 80 are feeling horribly lonely. They also consider that loneliness is now like a disease. It's one that has reached pandemic proportions. And the American College um, Health Association of Canada, this is a cohort of 44,000 post-secondary students, revealed that two-thirds of them reported feeling very lonely at some point in the previous 12 months. So we have 20,000 adults conducted a, a, a study that, uh, in 2018 by the Health Insurer Sigma, and it was says 40% of Americans said they lacked meaningful relationships and feel isolated from others. This is so opposite of God's creation. He said it's not good for man to be alone. He knows how we are made. He knows what we need. And I want to encourage you, to listen to all the different podcasts that, that we have out there for you about relationship, because this show is a show on relationship and how important relationships are. We know that, that people that have everything they could dream of when it comes to financially, when it comes to status, acclaim, um, freedom to do whatever they want to do when they want to do it, and if they don't have relationship. They're lonely. And we've seen this all through social media when it comes to different icons in our society, different movie stars, rock stars. I mean, we would think these people were the happiest people. And we find out that they're not, that they're lonely. So I want to really encourage you to not at any way be embarrassed or ashamed if you're lonely. All of us are to one degree or another. And so this is why it's so important that we resist what's natural. And what's natural to our human nature is if we feel lonely, then we feel bad about ourselves. If we feel bad about ourselves, we don't feel confident to go out and seek new relationships. So I want you to be an overcomer. I want you to not give in to just staying lonely and realizing that you're not the only one and that you pursuing other people because of your loneliness is going to help them with their loneliness. We're not trying to be perfect people. You don't have to be perfect. You just need to care. One of the main things that humans need is care. I I say day after day, just care 
about them? Do you care? Do you care for them? Do you care about them? Do you care about their experience? Do you care about their feelings? Do you care about their hopes and their dreams? Any human can do that. That doesn't cost anything financially. So I want to encourage you to do that. Now, and in, in this next segment, we are going to talk about why God really wants us in relationship and understanding that he is a God of relationship. He's a relational being. He created relationships, and that's part of being made in his image. So join me in the last segment as we talk more about why God wants us in relationships. Well, welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you for joining me. And I hope you're enjoying this hour and recognizing that one of the biggest goals that I have for you during this time is you working on relationship. And we're going to spend some time in the future as well, the next couple weeks, about how you relate to yourself, because how you relate to yourself has a lot to do with how you relate to other people, whether it's positive or negative. So Let's, let's think about why would God want us in relationship? And one of the foundational truths that we know is that relationships are unavoidable. Now, you've heard me say this before, and I really want you to remember that relationships are unavoidable, but what can be avoided is unhealthy and unsuccessful relationships. Now, that's going to take some work. And like I said in the last segment, Genesis 2.10 that the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. See, Adam was perfect when God stated this. And he had a perfect relationship with God. And God, who is everything, right, said, wow, I'm not enough. It's not good for him to be alone. So it's easy to understand why it's so painful when our relationships are unsuccessful and why we may stay in an unsuccessful relationship or an unhealthy relationship, even even if it's painful. Because so many times, and I'm sure you know how this feels, it's better to be in a bad relationship than be alone. And I know that we feel that many times. I know that doesn't work. And one of the hardest things is to learn how to be alone without being lonely. So when God introduced Adam to his first relationship, outside of himself, outside of God, Everything was perfect. So we can conclude that having a successful relationship with yourself and God is imperative for healthy relationships other than you and God. So this is really important to recognize how this all began so that you can say to yourself, my compulsion desire to be in relationship is natural to the way God made me. It's like eye color. So when we have someone that says, I'm not doing relationship anymore, I, I, get, I, I get the feeling. I really do. I know what it feels like to say, I've had it, I'm done. They hurt so bad, I don't want to do them any longer. What we do know about the way that we are hardwired is that doesn't last. So what this show is about 
is encouraging you on how to have healthier relationships. And one of the best ways to start is a healthy relationship with God and a healthy relationship with you. So with yourself and with God means that you are bringing a healthier person to the relationship that you are trying to create. So the word relate, relating, relation, you know, etc., whatever, doesn't include the concept or idea of intimacy. So that's where we say that humans are relational beings. We will have relationship without even trying. We have relationship with our car, with inanimate objects. Think of the relationship you have with your pets. We have relationships with, you know, inside how we feel about different characters in a book. We can feel attached to them. We can attach to different characters in a TV show and be sad when that show is off the air and feel lonely like we miss them. This is how God made us, that we can contain that within us and carry it within us, even if it's not concrete. So what we want to think about is this idea that, that words like narrative or narrate or thought and connection through blood, through persons, through nations, this helps us to conclude that the ability to relate does not necessarily require intimacy, right? We can relate to a lot of people that we might not want to spend time with. How many of you relate to people you don't like? Your boss, your in-laws, your pets, your car, right? So the ability to relate doesn't always include emotions. Intimacy requires emotional content, bondedness, attachment, willingness, and the ability to know where you end and the other person begins. So intimacy, the short explanation of intimacy, is knowing another and being known. So somebody knows me and I know them. This is one of the the, uh, most... I would say bedrock issues that humans need. And if you've heard me talk about this on other shows, when when we talk about the study that was done in in, um, Russia and Germany and Second World War, where they had so many infants that were orphaned, and they decided to do a grand experiment, and they they warehoused all these orphans, and the warehouses were perfectly air-conditioned, perfectly heated, they were clean all the time, these infants were lined up in bed after bed after bed after bed, and they had, the sheets were perfect. They were changed when they were supposed to be. I mean, the care, the physical care of these orphans was perfect. But they told the nurses that you are not allowed to look at the baby, talk to the baby, caress the baby, comfort the baby, and all those infants died. And this is where we get the the concept of failure to thrive, that mammals need to be seen. They need to be talked to. They need to be touched. They need to have the ability to cause someone a reaction. They need to affect the world around them. So when we talk about intimacy, this is really the most private or personal. This is close, familiar. This is, you know, trust. This is constant companion, a close friend. This is informal, maybe, is another way that we say intimacy is seen. 
It's an informal feeling with one another. It's a familiarity. Certainly is confidentiality. It's private. So the difference between relating and intimacy is big. So some of what we have going on right now in our society, unfortunately, we're good at relating. We have, I mean, and I, I am amazed at the sophistication of young people and their ability to interact with humans of all, of all ages and to relate. But the ability to be intimate, to be known, and to know someone, that's a little different story. So when we think about relationship, it's how we relate to ourselves and others. How do I relate to you and how do you relate to me? And how, how much intimacy do we want? So as we grow, we learn from our parents and others how to relate, which that ends up being an emotional language. That's what we call it. And this is usually learned through our families and who we grew up with. Like you can think about the different decade that you might have been raised in and how you relate to people in that decade. We had similar words, similar slangs, ways of dressing, music. All these things caused us to relate and feel connected. But did we develop intimacy? So we learn to relate in healthy or unhealthy ways, successful or unsuccessful ways. So I'm going to give you a definition of intimacy. It's kind of corny, but it works. And the intimacy is the joyful union that comes when two people learn together how to give love, how to receive love. It's the joyful union of two people. So it can be with someone younger than you, older than you, opposite sex, same sex, family, a friend, but it's this idea that we're learning together how to give love and how to accept love. So when we say, you know, give love, why would giving love be so difficult? Well, I'm sure you've read the book or heard of the book, The Five Love Languages, and we find out that this whole idea of two people learning together is what is unique to the other person. So how does my husband actually feel loved is different than how I might feel loved. I had to learn that. He had to learn me. I have clients that I love. I have to learn who they are. I have to learn how they respond, how they think, what's important to them, what's unique to them, how they feel safe, how they feel secure, how they feel supported. Because that love is unique to them. Now, obviously, we have similarities because we're all human. But the most beautiful thing about relating and learning to love someone and then having intimacy is how unique it is to you and that person. It cannot be replicated. My relationship with my husband can't be replicated with another person. My relationship with my mother with my siblings, with my best friends, with my children. It's the unique combination of these two people that are one-time-only-occurring people. That's the beauty of intimacy and relationship. So what's dysfunctional love? Well, it's love out of balance. It's loving the other too much 
while loving the self too little or vice versa. It's loving myself too much, which really isn't true love, and loving not loving the other. So we have this perfect example with God of how to relate, how to love, how to have intimacy. And this is through the Trinity. So this is in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. And it says, The Trinity, which is three in one, a perfect example of oneness, in which each individual, each individual part does not lose its individual identity. Each individual in the triune values the other individual parts. No one confuses the individual parts of the triune. So think about that, that this trinity is three in one. Well, we are made in God's image. We are three in one. We have me, myself, and I. So one of the things I do on a daily basis with clients is talk to them about how do you talk to you about yourself? Or if I say it in in first person, I say, how do I talk to me about myself? How do I relate to me? How do I love myself? And so if you want healthier relationships outside of you, I want you to work on the relationship inside of you. How do you relate to you? How much do you love you? How much do you care? How much do you know you? Because that is going to have so much impact on how you relate with others and the type of relationship that you will build and whether or not you will be able to have the intimacy you desire. So I really appreciate you joining in today. And I want you to take this really seriously. I want you to think about your way of relating to you because you carry that with you everywhere you go. You bring it to every relationship you're in. And I'm sure that you can think of examples of relating to people that hated themselves or mistreated themselves or abused themselves. Or they did it to others. And so this is where you want to say to yourself, if I want to change the relationships in my life, if I want to add relationships that are more meaningful, the best place to start is with me and to follow God's lead. Think about the Trinity. Think about, do you think that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are ever at odds? Are they fighting? Imagine. So, this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you again so much for joining me today. And I look forward to talking to you next week. God bless you and your week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach you, the listener, with ideas and insights on how you may not only improve your life, but have more successful and meaningful relationships as you become the best version of you. Cynthia is available as a keynote speaker or guest speaker for your corporate or spiritual events. Cynthia is able to customize a message for any audience attending a meeting, retreat, or conference. In addition to this, she oftentimes partners her messages with music as she is a singer and musician. Please contact her through her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. 
If you missed any part of this program, you can download the most current show from our website at CynthiaHyatt.com or hear a replay on your favorite podcast server. Please take a moment to visit her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated and leave your ideas and comments about today's show. Now, be your own best version. Be-